episode of Inside the Recording Studio. I am Jody Whitesides, and with me, as always, is Mr. Chris Hellstrom. How are you today, Chris? Hello, Jody. I'm I'm still a little anxious from that story you just told before we started taping. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, th- Sorry to make you stressed out. Well, you know, didn't happen to me, so, but still, that was stressful. Was Do like, I still yeah. have hair on my head? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. It's quickly trying to escape. No, that was rough. That was rough. Yeah, it so. kind of segues into the whole concept of today's episode, which is the psychology of talking to an artist and or client. It kind of does, actually, doesn't it? It, it yeah, very much I, so. I really didn't plan that. That works out rather well. It does. So, yeah, so we're talking about the psychology and I guess more importantly or more accurately of how to behave and, and treat artists and clients when we're working with them. You know, sometimes we have to be a psychologist, right? So I didn't what, take what many psychology classes at university. I feel so unfulfilled now. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe you need to speak to a psychologist about that. Right? <laughs> right. When we say that, what, why do we have to be a psychologist, do you think? What's your opinion on the subject? Artists and clients tend to have fragile egos, And I say tend, it doesn't mean that everybody does, but uh, there's a lot of them out there that have very, very fragile egos. Taking a more emotional intelligence type approach, which I would assume kind of goes hand in hand with being a psychologist, is a better way to coax a good performance out of an artist. And it's a good way to keep the lines of communication open with a client. Is that a good way of saying it? Yeah, I would agree with, with that. I think it's when we're working with an artist, we want them to be as, as good as they can. And it can be during recording especially, but a little bit less during mixing. But we now are responsible for their product in the end. And as you mentioned, creatives can be a little bit insecure, perhaps, in their abilities. In or their overly stuff. secure. <laughs> <laughs> or really secure. Yeah, that's the other part. You might have to adopt a different personality while you're working with those people. But we want to just make people at ease. Unless they've worked with you before, they don't really know what they're walking into as well. They don't might not know you on a personal level. So you want to make them comfortable and trust you and all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really for the benefit of the whole thing to put somebody at ease and let them trust you basically. Well, you mentioned during the recording and tracking what is how I would denote that during the tracking process. The initial thing really is to get the best performance that you can out of an artist. Yeah. And some artists are going to require real gentle coaxing. Others, encouragement and like, oh, that was really great, even though it wasn't. And you don't tell them that it wasn't. You just say, hey, you know, that particular part was really good. Maybe we can do another take where you marry that with something even better on the back end of something else (laughs) kind of thing. (laughs) So you try to keep that positive attitude and, and look for the little moments where it's like, yes, you nailed this. Now let's get that onto this part over here kind of thing. Yeah. Especially when you have to start dealing with a lot of overdubs. That's with the artists that require that gentle encouragement and such. There are other artists where they understand that it's a business and they're there to do a job. And if the job's not done right, all you have to do is say, do it again, fucker. Well, you might not have to say it that way, but (laughs) they'll understand and they'll be like, all right, we'll just run another take. Where do you fall on that situation in terms of like, if you were recording for someone else, are you the one that needs the gentle coaxing or do you like, all right, we'll do it again. 
No, I think if I'm the artist, I would rather have somebody say, oh, dude, that, your timing was off and, and that bent note right there was shit, so do it again, <laughs> you know? But I'm probably so um, aware of my playing and, and things that I would probably notice that anyway, so it wouldn't come as a big crush, you know? It's like, oh my God, really? For me, it w- I would rather deal with somebody who, who's sort of honest. They don't have to be an asshole about it. Nah, that, that was a little bit off. I'd like you to do it again. Or even if they think that, oh, that part does not work, come mm-hmm. up with something else. All right, right, cool. I'd rather hear that. But from my personality, if I'm on the other side of the glass, so to speak, right. I probably tend to go the little bit more gentler route by nature. Okay. Because I know that you know people can be perhaps a little hesitant when they're going in and and intimidated, easily bruised ego. Yeah. Even if it's not an ego thing, it's like, let's say that it's somebody who's, they're not used to being in the studio or recording or tracking, whatever happens to be. Wet behind the ears. The first thing you probably don't want to say to them is, dude, what are you doing? That fucking sucked. (laughs) You know, come on, do it again. (laughs) You know, probably better off going with, you know, so, well, you know what? Okay, cool. We got some good sounds going on here. You know, let's try to focus a little bit more on the timing or whatever you have to do to kind of rectify the situation. But I don't think anybody, uh, nobody gets better when you just yell at them, you know, <laughs> so, especially if they can't deliver better, you know, so what are you going to do? But what about you? What, when you're, you know, let's say that you're tracking vocals for somebody mm-hmm. or you're the artist, right. how do you prefer to get treated? Tell me straight up. Right. Yeah. But has it always been that way for yeah. you? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I understand where I'm coming from in terms of a performance. And I might be more likely to say, no, we need to do it again than they might. Okay. Kind of thing, if that right. makes any sense. Like you're saying, you're very aware of your guitar playing and whatnot. I'm the same way with the vocal, same way with the bass, same way with drums, keyboards, guitar, whatever instrument I'm playing. I'm going to be acutely aware of whether or not my performance is nailing it. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I was producing a track last night as a alternate version to a track that I did last week for the same artist for the same song. And they felt like they had miscommunicated to me okay. about the direction. And the original direction that I went was much more funk-based because all the examples they gave me were all funk-based. Right. <laughs> and they're like, no, 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 no. I meant to go more R&B with this. And it's like, well funny you should say that let's do it again so i did it again and in the middle of doing some of the piano parts i realized that i played it better in one section than i did in another and so i redid that section a few more times until i got a better feel on it so i understand it from my own standpoint of like i can tell myself as the asshole (laughs) that sucked (laughs) do it again i can't say that to another artist or i can't say that to a client but i much prefer the straight up don't dilly-dally around the bush. Don't sugarcoat it for me. Just tell me that the performance lacked for whatever reason. And then give me the direction that it needs to go. If it doesn't go in the direction that it needs to go, I need to know what direction it does need to go. Yeah. That's it. You said something there and you kind of glossed over it, but I think it's really important where you said you'd rather have somebody be upfront, say, no, this is, we need to do it again. Mm -hmm. But then- if they feel that strongly about it, point me in a direction where you felt that it lacked. Yeah. So don't just go, oh, that was horrible. Okay, well, what didn't you like about it? Yeah, you have to have a vision on that. As the producer, as the recording engineer, or as the person guiding the artist or the client, you have to have that vision. 
And you have to be willing to compromise on that vision unless they've given you the vision and you're just keeping them on the direction of that vision is a good way of saying it. Yeah. For me, I'm much more of the, I'm okay with a taskmaster attitude. Yeah. Because to me, it's a task. Right. Some but artists and clients, is, that, that doesn't work. You can't be the taskmaster. Maybe that's an experience thing as well. You know, once you've kind of done it a few times, you, you know, kind of like, well, this is where the bar is for good, right? And if we're not above that bar, you need to do it again. Right. But saying that, that's a very subjective thing that there's yeah. this bar of good. So whose bar do you use? And that's like, that's a communication thing where you have to figure that thing out with the artist or the client right up front is to like, who is the quote unquote leader? And if I go with a movie example, which is really going to be out there in left field, I'm going to quote from the movie Vertical Limit. Okay. And there's a scene where a very, very experienced climber whose wife has died at the hands of the inexperience of another climber who is a billionaire, who is saying to this guy who's throwing this party at the top of, well, not quite the top of Everest, but at the base camp of Everest. And he's asking him straight up, who plays God, so to speak, on the mountain? And this inexperienced billionaire climber tells him that it's his head climber. And he's like, okay. <laughs> and of course, the reality when they get up on the mountain is that the head climber for this group with the billionaire isn't the head guy. It's the billionaire. And he makes really awful decisions up there. Yeah. That's something that has to be defined the same way in a recording studio. There is the first example I was thinking about. That, I'm going to steer back to another example in in the musical realm here. Right. Good. <laughs> good. 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 When we talk about Mutt Lang here, mm -hmm. when he was getting ready to start with Def Leppard's Hysteria, they had had those discussions like, "Well, what's the goal with this album? What are we going to set the bar as?" Right. And he had posed the question, like, "Well, why can't a rock band be like Michael Jackson and have seven hit singles off an album?" And they supposedly were standing around, well, I don't know why they can't that. So he said, okay, well, that's the bar. We're going to have seven <laughs> hit singles on this album. So now that, that's an extreme level to set for yourself. Sure. But just looking at that, when you go into a project, I think if you push people enough in artists that they will have a sort of vision, not necessarily a commercial bar that they want to set or meet, but more of an artistic thing. Uh -huh. So let's say that artists that you were just working with and they wanted more of an R&B thing, but let's say they come in and they go, okay, well, we want this to be on par with like the last Bruno Mars album. That's a pretty high bar. Yes, it you is. Know? But if that's what they're going for, you have to strive toward that. And that's the bar. And you have to be honest, like, no, look, if this is what you want, that baseline that you played, that's not going to be solid enough. You know, so let, let's keep pushing. Right. So in so, a sense, there's the taskmaster who's the asshole and there's the taskmaster who is the gentle encourager is kind yeah. of how it comes across. And then there's varying degrees in between. And as the recording engineer or the producer, you have to know that difference because not everybody's going to react the same way. And even within multiple sessions of working with an artist or client, things can change. Yeah, and you have well, to be people's prepared. mood change from day to day as well, right? Yeah. So let's say somebody comes in and they've had, you know, they've had a fight with their boyfriend the night before or whatever. Like that, that person's not going to be in the same headspace as last week, perhaps. But you need to find that balance again. And I heard stories about Bob Ezrin 
produced like Alice Cooper and Kiss and this kind of stuff, uh, Pink Floyd, mm-hmm. where he would have like a whistle around his neck when he was in the studio. And that's like, now, now it's serious time. Okay, I'm blowing the whistle. <laughs> now it's time to work. He's you know? the ref right there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, okay, Ace, put down the beer. We're going to work type of thing, right? So, <laughs> nice. or, you know, stories about Phil Spector pulling guns on people. Yeah. So, so may, maybe find some balance, maybe not to those extremes, but. Yeah. Um, and while yeah. it's difficult, it's a good idea. And it's not always 100% of the time realistic, but keep as positive a vibe as you can. Absolutely. That way you can yeah. make it comfortable for the artists and they can throw and bounce ideas off you if that's part of the game plan. And it's kind of like that fine line between being the taskmaster and getting shit done and having fun in the studio. Because it's not always going to be fun. Yeah, sometimes it's just work and it's hard and you're pushing, but sometimes that's when good stuff comes out, right? But if you don't have that positive vibe in there and keeping encouraging people to do that, you know, you're less likely to get those great results. Exactly. Bringing up Mutt Lang again, I remember Mm. somebody saying how he would work and how he would sort of bring things out of you that you didn't think that you could do, right? What he would like, okay, I, I need you to sing this high note, right? I need you to hit that. And you go, oh, no, I, I can't do that. Oh, just go ahead and try. You don't, you can do it, you know, and encouraging. And the person would hit that note. And they'll go, see, I told you you could do it. Cool, now do that three or four more times, right? <laughs> so <laughs> it's like now you're making a person stack harmonies that they didn't think that they could even hit, right? Sure. So it's that kind of encouraging thing. But uh, from what I understand, he could also be a fair bit of a taskmaster. But- Hard to argue with the results, right? Right. And with that, we'll take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. And we're back. We're going to start applying this concept of the psychology of talking to an artist and client when it's more directed at the mixing stage of creating music. So what are we doing here, Chris? Well, the interaction now is a little bit less direct in the sense that you're may not be in the same room all the time. I can only speak for myself, but when I'm mixing, I don't like to have somebody sitting next to me unless it's like a- What if they're behind you? (laughs) Same thing, oddly enough. Yeah. I like to do that because I don't like to have, why are you doing that? Can we do this? Can can we try that? Just let me do my job and there'll be time for you to- critique it and tell me what you don't like about it. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit less likely, perhaps, that you'll be sitting in the same room while you're doing this process. However, it's your mix, but it's the artist's product, right? So you still have to make sure that you listen to the artist and the feedback that they give you. Hopefully, you've had that line of communication going on with the vision of the project so that you, you know what you're kind of shooting for. Like you brought up here, you, you brought a track into a funk realm when they wanted an R&B thing. Perhaps that's something that could have been cleared up. Well, it was initially. cleared up when they apologized for miscommunicating the direction that they really wanted. Yeah. And then <laughs> By, you just move on from there, right? Yeah. And then that's fine. And you know, it, it was not, fine. It was just a matter of like, well, you gave me, I didn't like write back and say, well, you gave me all these funk examples. I just said, okay. And I went off in the new direction. I'm waiting to hear back about it because I just turned it in this morning. But So there you go. But that communication needs to happen as well. And you need to be able to, at least in my opinion, to 
keep the client or the artist at ease when you're doing this mixing for them, right? Which so, means give them a lot of the 420 and a bunch of alcohol. <laughs> definitely. Well, you approved it last night, you know. No, in all seriousness, you know, you, you want to make sure that you listen to their feedback if they have it. Don't assume that, look, I'm the mix engineer. Just trust me. It's fine when they go, oh, the, you know, I think the guitar is a little bit too loud. No, I don't hear it that way. No, this is fine. You know, <laughs> it's, it's their mix. Turn down the damn guitar, you know, or turn, and them just up. Be, yeah. or turn them up, whatever it happens to be. Right. You know so, what? Kind of coinciding with what you're just saying uh -huh. and what you said a little earlier about not wanting somebody sitting next to you or rather in the same room as you as you're trying to mix. Mm -hmm. I do know a very, very prominent mix and mastering engineer who has different levels of fees based okay. on how the work is going to occur. If you leave him alone and just let him do his thing, it's one fee. If you want to sit in the room, it's an additional fee. <laughs> and, and it's substantially more <laughs> and it's the well, same but, thing as like if you don't really like this judgment call i will do this change for you but it will cost this so he monetizes every aspect of what he's doing but you can't argue with the level of work that he's done and the resume list that he has because it's fucking ridiculous <laughs> You know? Yeah, but it's just interesting because I did ask to sit in and I did ask to do certain things. He's like, well, you know, I'm giving you this bro price for this, but if you want to do that, then it's going to go up to this. And so it was like all these different fee structures based on certain things that he was mentioning yeah. that I was asking. And that's for. pretty clever. I mean, that's a good business idea though, it is. You know, to, to keep those in, in your mind when you're quoting somebody. Right. right? So to, to it allows him job. to be accommodating, yeah. but it also allows him to make more money based on how accommodating he has to get. Right. And I'm sure that's not necessarily even based on, although it sounds like an ego thing. I don't think it's that no, at all. I think it's just that thing. the mixing process takes a lot longer for him to do because he, I'm guessing, has to stop and answer to all these questions, right? Exactly. That was so the what, reasoning he gave. Yeah. I was like, well, why are you low cutting the, the bass guitar? Well, I'm doing it because of this is okay. Why are you adding 8K on the bass guitar? You know, all, all those things. Like, just mm -hmm. please listen to the stereo mix, you know. But how do you deal with that, though? I mean, do you like have, having people there when you mix, or do you prefer to be by yourself, or do you, or do you care? The preference is to do it solo. Yeah. To let the mix happen mm -hmm. and to give it to the artist or the client and say, is there anything you need changed? If there's something that needs to be changed, I'm happy to do it because recall these days is extremely simple. If sure. it gets extraneously ridiculous in the amount of changes, fees, mm -hmm. I kind of operate similar to that guy. And I've never really had anybody wanting to sit in while mixing, but if they did, I would adopt that fee structure that yeah. this other much more prominent mix engineer that I'm mentioning would be. I would do the same thing. Yeah, and I usually treat it in the way that I will, when I'm quoting the price for a mix, I will give the client the information. I'll look, with this mix, you're getting this, this, and this, and you get X amount of revisions. Mm -hmm. Now, if the amount of revisions in like mix revision one, I don't care. The more that you have, I'll be more than happy to accommodate. But I will give you X amount of revisions. And if you want to go beyond that point, more then money. there will be more money. Yeah. Right. Because it can very easily get out of hand. 
you know, where these days I value my time. So you don't it's say. Not, <laughs> I, yeah. And I, I had to learn how to do that. Sometimes clients just, it seems that it can be like you're just sitting there waiting for their feedback, right? And it takes no amount of time for you to do the revisions that they expect. Mm. It's like, what's the worst thing that you can generally do, right? Somebody to give them two options, right? Well, do you want the base up by 2 dB or do you want it up by 1 and what do you always get? Well, split the difference. Do it one and a half, right? And okay, well, give it to me with two. All right. No, that was too much. Give it to me with one and a half now. Okay, well, it seems like it's just a minuscule amount of work, which it can be, but this is just an example I'm bringing up, right? Mm -hmm. But you can do revision after revision, and at some point, they just have to make up their mind where it's going to start costing them more money. Well, and it sounds like so, that psychology of how they're treating you is starting to frustrate you and you're not keeping them at ease. Yes. And that's, <laughs> it could be that. It could be on my end. But at this point, I'd like to think that I can treat the artist with respect. Mm -hmm. I would never sort of like disrespect the artist or, you know, I'm telling funny stories here, but I would never go out and really name somebody and go, oh, this dick was an asshole. I'll never work with him again. He couldn't play for shit, right? That, that's just not cool. And if you do that, you're probably not very likely to get another job, right? If you have a habit of doing that. Treating people with respect, but that also means that I demand respect from them from a client. Do you have like a written decree that says you must sign this paper and I demand the respect that this paper gives me? <laughs> Absolutely not. No, <laughs> I, I, I like to think that respect is earned. It also means that you have to stand up for yourself if somebody is just generally being abusive, mm -hmm. right? So if, whether that's verbally or just not being professional enough and, and we've talked about that in the past, I think it's like there's Life's too short to deal with people. A lot of times that just frustrate you or just make you upset and make your life miserable. So, right. You know. but, so don't be do that person that treats other people that way in the studio, right? Yeah, exactly. And that goes for you as if you're the engineer or producer as well, right? Don't, yep. don't be a jerk to these people, but don't take any crap either. So how do you deal with that? Like if you're in that situation where you find that it feels like the artist is starting to take advantage of you basically. You say, here's your files. You can go somewhere else. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have done that. It's not the most ideal of situation. That's when it's really come to a head and there's a, you're butting heads and it's not working extremely well. But it doesn't happen a lot, but it can happen. Reality is, is I really like to do my best on everything that I can. So sure. I'm generally pretty good at saying no up front. And I've learned to spend a lot of time actually not necessarily conducting an interview but having a good lengthy chat with the artist yeah. or client up front to let them know expectations and that sort of thing. And that's a psychological thing. I'm trying to get a suss out feel for how they operate so yeah. I can learn to say no to the job prior to even taking it on if it's going to appear to be a pain in the ass. Yeah. Always do your best when you've taken on the job. That's the way I will say that. And there's only been like maybe two or three times where I've literally just said, here's your files. You can go somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. And it's just like, I can't And then deal. you, you know, you can be respectful with that as well, right? Because mm -hmm. you, you, I would probably say something to the effect that, look, I don't think I'm going to be able to deliver what you expect for this project. I might not be the guy for you. So 
wish you all the best. Here's what we did so far. Best of luck type of thing. Right. And with saying that, I'm kind of trying to differentiate the fact that it's not just you playing psychologist to your artist or client. It's a two-way street. You have to play psychologist to yourself to make sure that you're taking care of yourself in terms of the situation. It's really rough when they accuse you of doing things that you haven't done. And you have to kind of take it in stride, but you also have to show them whether or not you did that. Because if you did do it, fess up to it (laughs) and don't do it again. But if you didn't do it, you have to find a reasonable way of stepping aside of it and saying, no, I didn't, but not being a dick about saying that you didn't do it. There's a trust issue there, right? And trust is very, very difficult to get back if you have lost it for whatever reason, Mm -hmm. imagined or otherwise, right? It means that you're probably unlikely to finish this project in a positive manner. And And that doesn't do anybody any good. Exactly. These psychological things, I think, go both ways. It's not just somebody sitting in in the engineering chair it's also the artist. So this goes for, you know, when we're going in and we're artists, you know, just be a cool person. I was really impressed with when we talked to Christopher Alice, mm-hmm. just the legwork that he does before he takes on a project. I thought that was really, really inspiring. Well, you could say you the know, same so- about Steve Womet as well. I mean, he does a ridiculous oh, amount of research. And I'd be willing to bet that the same holds true for our next guest coming next week. Exactly. So Yeah. All of them, or everybody that we've had on as guests, I'm sure we'll have in the future as well, is really professional people that mm-hmm. have something to add. So, And with that, we're going to move on to our Friday Finds. Chris, what have you got for us today? I have a find that is not necessarily a product mm. or a piece of music, But I stumbled upon something down the YouTube rabbit hole where I saw a video of a clinic that Tom, Lord Algae, was doing uh, through Abbey Road that I thought was really, really cool. His way of working is fairly similar to his brother, Mm -hmm. Chris, right? And their judicious use of both compression and EQ, and they're not afraid of using either one of them. (laughs) But he had a few things that I thought were really, really exciting, just the way his work and his attitude just is really, really contagious. Here's a guy that obviously loves what he does, right? And he's super happy to, to do it. And I recommend that for anybody. It's just you know, available. It's not beyond a paywall or anything like that. It's just do a search for Tom Lord Algae and Abbey Road. I thought it was really inspiring. So that has to be my Friday find for this week. Right on. And what about you, Mr. Whitesides? I'm going to drop a little bit of a plug-in bomb on you right now, because between now and the end of this month, or roughly about Thanksgiving-ish time, if you're listening to this well past the production date of 2021. I'm sorry, but Reason has teamed up with Waves to give away the Berserk 
distortion plugin. Ooh, I like it. Yes, I, I figured you would just because of your <laughs> penchant for lots of distortions of various kinds. So, and I'm Swedish too. Because so. <laughs> <laughs> Swedish equals distortion. Anyway, well, I meant the, the reason. Anyway, I'm, right. I'm reason and and waves have teamed up and they're giving away the Berserk distortion plugin right now for free. All you have to do is give reason your email address. And there you have it. You get a plugin nice. for free that you can then go mangle stuff with. So that's my Friday find for this week. Sounds good. While we've got your attention, we ask that you go and post about us on your favorite forum or your favorite social media. In addition to that, you can go to our website and leave us a review at insidetherecordingstudio.com forward slash review, or just go to insidetherecordingstudio.com and sign up for our email list. Doing so gets you weekly reminders about the Tuesday tips when they come out, and we'll make sure that you don't miss any future episodes. Even better is when we hold a giveaway, if you're on our email list, you're automatically entered to possibly win whatever it is we're giving away. If you send us an email at goldstar at insidetherecordingstudio.com with the word psychology, you'll get something cool back in your inbox. If you have a topic of suggestion for us to explain in a future episode, contact us at the contact page, hint, hint, and we'll put it into consideration for a future episode. And with that, I'll say, see you next week. Talk to you later, Jody. Have a good one.